Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you had a fantastic Wednesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is we had Dan Bilzerian in the news for, uh, for a story that is, of course, not normal in any way. Dan, if you, if you don't know, I'm trying to think of how to sum him up. Massive internet personality, very rich guy. Last year, he launched a cannabis company, but he was recently all over social media because of this clip that I'm going to talk over because it has copyrighted music, and I'm not trying to be about that life today. You see him hand-feeding a bear. And of course, when you have a viral clip, like this, there are a lot of people having a lot of different takes. Some people just loving it, saying that's so awesome. Other people saying, no, this is disgusting. It's animal exploitation. One comment reading, big no-no. There's nothing fun about abusing a drug-starved animal. Delete this and your pension for animal exploitation. Smoke more weed. But the reason we're talking about this isn't just because the internet had a general reaction. It's because according to reports, PETA are reporting Dan Bilzerian and Steve Martin's work in wildlife who allegedly provided the bear to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife and LA Department of Animal Services. TMZ reporting, in the complaints obtained by TMZ, PETA claims Dan Dan and Martin did not have the required permit for this type of display because city regulations expressly prohibit keeping bears in a place where they pose a risk to the public. Adding, PETA also claims that because the bear was not contained in an escape-proof enclosure, and because Martin did not maintain a safe distance between the bear and the partygoers, Martin should be stripped of his permits and fined. And as far as Dan Bilzerian's initial response to this news, he posted to his Instagram, it's pretty obvious I love animals, I gave up hunting a long time ago, I've tweeted you should only kill an animal if you're gonna eat it, and that trophy hunters obviously have small dicks. I appreciate people trying to stand up for animals, however you've got people killing thousands of animals every day for sport, torturing dogs in China, clubbing seals to death for fun, and they want to do the typical internet bandwagon on whatever is popular and come after me for feeding what seemed to be a very healthy, happy bear that was rescued at a young age. And closing, they can suck my dick. And as of recording this video, uh, that is where this story ends. And so around this story, I wanted to pass the question off to you. What are your, what are your thoughts on this? Do you feel like this is PETA being PETA, where they're seeing this kind of big internet viral situation, they're gonna try and use it as a situation to make it about them? And or do you think Dan Bilzerian is the wrong here? What do you think about his response, any, any and all things. And then let's talk about this just horrible information coming out around the Boy Scouts. Back in January, during a trial about child sex abuse at a Minnesota children's theater company, Dr. Janet Warren testified about her experience working with the Boy Scouts. For the past five years, she had been on private contract evaluating the organization's handling of sexual abuse from 1944 to 2016. Warren and her team went through their ineligible volunteer files, which sometimes are called the perversion files, and she testified that they found, quote, 7,819 perpetrators who they believe were involved in sexually abusing using a child, and adding, from reviewing all these files, we identified 12,254 victims. And so victims' rights attorney Jeff Anderson, who brought attention to Warren's testimony, says that he plans to sue the Boy Scouts of America to get a full release of documents relating to abuse allegations. Anderson saying in a press conference yesterday, The Boy Scouts of America have never actually released these names in any form that can be known to the public. And they may have removed them from scouting, they may have kept them in their perversion files, but they never alerted the community that this teacher, this coach, this scout leader, who is also a priest or an electrician, is known to them to be a child molester. Anderson also saying that his law firm has separately found 130 former Boy Scout leaders accused of abuse in New York and 50 in New Jersey, and dubbing those findings the Anderson file. And he plans to file using the New York's Child Victims Act, which actually isn't effective until August 14th. And when that date rolls around, it opens up the statute of limitations on felony child sexual abuse and provides a one-year look-back period to seek civil action no matter when the abuse occurred. Now, after the information was out, Boy Scouts of America released a statement saying, we care deeply about all victims of child abuse and sincerely apologize to 
anyone who was harmed during their time in scouting. We believe victims, we support them, and we have paid for unlimited counseling by a provider of their choice. And adding, at no time have we ever knowingly allowed a perpetrator to work with youth, and we mandate that all leaders, volunteers, and staff members nationwide immediately report any abuse allegation to law enforcement. Now, of note, this isn't the first time the public has heard about the Boy Scouts perversion files. In 2012, as part of an Oregon case, more than 14,000 pages of documents were released in connection with abuse by 1,247 scout leaders. Also that same year, the LA Times published a database of 5,000 men and a small number of women who were expelled from Boy Scouts in connection with sexual abuse. But this update now, I mean, this is this is huge. This is for the first time the full scope of the alleged abuse has been made public. So we're gonna have to wait to see if more documents are released. Also, what's gonna be interesting to see is what happens in New York once the Child Victims Act goes live, right? How many cases are we gonna see filed as soon as that goes into effect, right? The idea of that look back period is incredibly interesting, especially following the Catholic Church abuse scandals. Yeah, ultimately a very troubling story. And of course, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. And then let's talk about this story around Rochester Drug Cooperative. They and two of their executives have been indicted with criminal charges related to the ongoing opioid crisis. And specifically, they're being accused of supplying drugs they knew were likely being misused. And this is a massive deal because this is the first time a major drug distribution company will face charges for the opioid crisis. Now, RDC, if you do not know, is one of the top 10 drug distributors in the country. They have an estimated annual revenue of $1 billion. And according to the indictment, the company and its executives, quote, supplied large quantities of oxycodone, fentanyl, and other dangerous opioids to pharmacy customers that its own compliance personnel determined were dispensing those drugs to individuals who had no legitimate medical need for them. And there are a lot of charges involved in this case, so let's try and break them down. The company's former CEO, Lawrence Dow, III and former Chief of Compliance William Petruszewski were both being charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States and conspiracy to distribute controlled substances, which carries a mandatory 10-year sentence, but also has a maximum sentence of life in prison. Petruszewski is also being charged with willfully failing to file suspicious order reports to the DEA, and he has already pled guilty to those charges. While Dowd, on the other hand, has surrendered to authorities, but has pleaded not guilty. And as far as RDC itself, it is being charged with conspiracy to violate narcotics laws, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and willfully failing to file suspicious order reports. And on top of that, they're also being sued in a civil complaint related to underreporting suspicious orders. And regarding that, it's alleged that between 2012 and 2016, the company only reported four suspicious orders to the DEA, but failed to report 2,000 orders to the DEA. And as far as why they did all of this, Greed, money, it's usually the most simple answer. The indictments say that they wanted to maximize the company's revenues and their own personal salaries. And according to a US attorney, during this time period, right, between 2012 and 2016, their sales of oxycodone tablets increased by 800%. And Dowd's salary ended up more than doubling. And by 2016, he was making $1.5 million. So what does all of this mean for the opioid crisis? Well, we had US attorney Jeffrey S. Berman, who was involved in the case, releasing a statement saying, this prosecution is the first of its kind. Executives of a pharmaceutical distributor and the distributor itself have been charged with drug trafficking, trafficking the same drugs that are fueling the opioid epidemic that is ravaging this country. Our office will do everything in its power to combat this epidemic. And we had DEA Special Agent Ray Donovan saying, today's charges should send shockwaves throughout the pharmaceutical industry. The distribution of life-saving medication is paramount to public health. Similarly, so is identifying rogue members of the pharmaceutical and medical fields whose diversion contributes to the record-breaking drug overdoses in America. These record-breaking overdoses that Berman and Donovan mentioned are incredibly serious. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, more than 130 people people in the United States die every single day from an opioid overdose. And as far as the reaction from RDC, right, what is the company saying? Well, Jeff Eller, who's a spokesperson for the company, issued a statement saying, we made mistakes. RDC understands that these mistakes directed by former management have serious consequences. One element of the opioid epidemic is a dramatic increase in the volume of prescriptions for opioids and all narcotics. And adding from 2012 to 2017, we did not have adequate systems in place, nor were our compliance team and practices rigorous enough to provide adequate controls and oversight. And additionally, the company has agreed to pay a fine of $20 million 
million dollars and will be under independent compliance monitoring for three years. Well, with all of that said, that's ultimately where we are right now. As far as my personal opinion, my reaction to this story, uh, unless we see a, a large prison sentence for the executives involved here, I, I'm going to be kind of continually underwhelmed. Right, I look at RDC's statement and it's kind of what you'd expect from a large company. Right, they refer to this deadly situation as a mistake. They try to provide separation and put it in the rear view by saying former management. I don't know, and maybe I'm just being completely cynical, but it feels like you, you see a $20 million fine and the actual human impact it has. For legal reasons, I'm not saying they do it, but it seems like a lot of businesses, including this one, maybe just include that in their in their budget breakdown as far as the price of doing business. And so I think to really scare people away from doing it, you have to see the, the people involved, the people that created this situation that are found guilty for this situation that there is actual legitimate prison time. It's not just a throw a bucket of money to cover the bodies on the floor situation. Until I see a full resolution, I'm gonna remain skeptical, I'm gonna remain cynical, but uh, I will note that the, the situation is potentially more promising than yesterday. And then let's talk about this bizarre story concerning the Philippines and Canada. Yesterday, Filipino President Rodrigo Duterte threatened to declare war on Canada if they do not take back tons of trash that a Canadian company shipped to the capital city of Manila. During a press briefing, we saw Duterte say this to officials. I want a boat prepared. I'll give uh, a warning to Canada maybe next week that they better uh, pull that thing out or I will set sail. We'll declare war against them. I will advise Canada that your garbage is uh, on, uh, on, the, on the way. Prepare a grand reception. <laughs> Eat it if you want to. Now, as far as what is he talking about? What trash? Well, this is actually not a new issue. The trash that he's referring to was shipped to the Philippines years ago. According to reports, between 2013 and 2014, there was a Canadian company called Chronic Plastics Inc. And they shipped a total of 103 containers with 2,450 tons of trash to Manila. The containers were labeled as carrying plastic scraps for recycling, but inspectors in the Philippines discovered that the contents of the containers were not recyclable at all. Instead, according to the Philippines News Agency, which is the official news agency of the government there, the containers were found to have non-recyclable plastics, household waste, and used adult diapers. And to make matters even more complicated, the Philippine government has said that the containers were shipped illegally. This because chronic plastics did not get import clearances before shipping the trash to Manila, which basically means that they just sent a bunch of trash without permission. Now, in response to Duterte's threat, we saw the Canadian Embassy in Manila issue a statement saying Canada is strongly committed to collaborating with the government of the Philippines to resolve this issue. The embassy also said that officials from both countries were examining the full spectrum of issues related to the removal of the waste with a view to a timely resolution. However, regarding that, this isn't the first time that Canada has promised to deal with this trash. And in fact, Philippine officials have filed multiple diplomatic protests with Canada over the last few years. Back in 2015, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said a Canadian solution was being developed to deal with the trash, but there was no follow through there, which prompted a Philippine court in 2016 to order that the trash be sent back to Canada at the importer's expense. Then the next time Trudeau went to the Philippines in 2017, he again made the promise, reportedly telling Duterte that the Canadian government, quote, is very much engaged in finding a solution, but here we are two years later and there's still been no action on Canada's part. And Canada has also argued that the shipment was a commercial transaction that was not backed by the Canadian government. But just last week, a Canadian law firm called Pacific Center for Environmental Law and Litigation, aka CEL, said that Canada actually broke international law by dumping the shipping containers, with CEL arguing that Canada violated the Basel Convention, which is a treaty that prevents the shipping of hazardous waste to developing countries without their express consent and prohibits the shipment of waste that is falsely labeled. Also, according to one of the lawyers of CEL, the container should have been sent back to Canada within 30 days after the Canadian government was made aware that they had been shipped. But on the other side of this, Canada has claimed and argued that the convention didn't apply 
at the time the shipments were made because the Philippines didn't consider the waste to be hazardous, or at least they didn't tell the Canadian government they believed it was. But also regarding this, back in 2016, Canada also amended its own regulations around hazardous waste so the situation wouldn't happen again. And under the new regulations, waste can be sent back to Canada if the country receiving it believes it is hazardous, even if Canada does not. But yeah, that's the situation as it is now. And as far as what happens next, right, whether or not the situation will be solved anytime soon, that remains to be seen. One of the biggest questions people have here is, is Duterte serious, right? Would he actually declare war? What would that look like? And to that, I would say, I mean, if you, if you look at the video of his briefing, he seems very casual. There are people laughing. And if you're remotely familiar with Duterte, you also know that his threatening rhetoric is a way that he gets his way, right, regarding the threat of war, you even had a Philippine senator saying, the war declaration, of course, it was an exaggeration, but that means that Canada must seriously act on the waste they have dumped into our country. But at the same time, Duterte's words and actual violence they're not always completely separate. Right, that's why we've seen international leaders and human rights organizations criticizing Duterte for his war on drugs, which has reportedly led to the execution of an estimated tens of thousands of Filipinos since he was elected back in 2016. But yeah, I mean, as far as my personal opinion, I don't think that he's serious about declaring war. But what I will say is interesting to me is the trash situation. I really do feel, and it, you know, it might not be international top page headlines because it's not, you know, a sexy story. This is actually a big growing problem. So last year, if you didn't know, China introduced a ban on quote, foreign garbage as part of a move to upgrade its industries and reduce environmental damage. So as a result, trash has been getting sent to developing countries. According to the BBC, the amount of plastic taken by China dropped by 94% between 2016 to 2017 and 2017 to 2018, while Malaysia, Turkey, Poland, and Indonesia took up the slack. And is a growing problem and also there's a lot of money involved. According to the UN, the global waste market sector, which includes collection and recycling, is estimated to be $410 billion, excluding a very large informal sector. But yeah, of course, with this and all of our stories, I'd love to know your thoughts in those comments down below. And that's where we're going to end today's show. And remember, if you like this video, you want to support the channel, just hit that like button. Also, if you're new here, be sure to subscribe. Also, if you know, 100% filled in, if you miss either of the last two videos we put out, click or tap right there to watch and catch up. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled. In. I love your faces and I'll see you tomorrow two times.